This is North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast, and I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, our audio is from our Sunday service on April 11th. The title of this talk is, What's the Deal with Church? Have you ever wondered what church exactly is or what your obligation to be a part of church might be, uh, or what church is supposed to entail, where we're going to begin tackling this question today uh, with the audio on this service. So this will kick off part of our season where we're looking at our the way we connect to one another as believers. And so this is kind of introducing kind of some of the themes that we're going to be exploring more in depth in the coming weeks. So thanks for listening, and don't forget to check us out on the web, northshorevineyard.org, where we have resources posted Monday through Friday, scripture readings, uh, things to help you in your daily spiritual walk, and uh, you can download those, print them out, and uh, go through them by yourself, or certainly with others, as we will be talking about today. Well, all right, here we go. One of the best innovations uh, for reaching out to the community in recent years has been the church sign. So I thought we'd start today by looking at some church signs. This, this first one comes from a, uh, a church, I, I assume it's a Catholic church, St. Joseph's Parish Service Center. I don't know why some people change churches. What difference does it make which one you stay home from? Some of these signs are really good at the guilt thing, you know. Um, <clears throat> the next one is from a Lutheran church that says, do not expect a $1,000 answer to a 10-cent prayer. <laughs> if, you, if you just go through a bunch of these, you're going to feel like a complete loser of a Christian. Uh, <laughs> the next one, I love this one. It, it's very practical. Forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. <laughs> I think I got that in a fortune cookie one time. <laughs> I don't know about this one. For artificial intelligence is no match for natural stupidity. While I agree with that, I'm not quite sure where they were going with that. Uh, but um, I digress. Uh, here's a witty one. Prayer, wireless access to God with no roaming fee. That's cute. Uh Here's one from Louisiana. If you think it's hot here, imagine hell. I actually had a church down the street from me when I lived in Hammond that had this exact sign, except it, it wasn't this particular. I guess this is a popular one. Um, next one, salvation guaranteed or your sins cheerfully refunded. <laughs> I like that one. I think, I think we might put that one on our window. This next one is strange. Midnight Mass and Toga Party, B-Y-O-B-J. Bring your own baby Jesus. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to make of that one. This next one comes from the King James translation of the Bible. And I just won't say it because I'm sure I'll get in trouble. So, And then finally... Oak Grove Presbyterian Church. Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) 
I was really struggling with worry, and I went to church, and they just pushed me over the edge. (laughs) And then finally, this is the one we're working on here. It's not witty or fun or anything, but it's the title of today's message. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like it? Like it? You think that would go good with downtown Covington? We We need more obnoxious church signs. My daughter's... Shaking her head, no? No, okay. She's like, that will not be a cool church anymore, Dad. I'm not coming. <laughs> we can go to the message slide now. This, this is enough fun. There we go. Um, what is the deal with church? And the subtitle could be, do I have to go? <laughs> um, what's the deal with church? I've used this analogy before if you were in Alpha. And if you weren't in Alpha, then it, it might be fresh to you. But if you... If you've driven from Baton Rouge to Lafayette on I-10, have you ever seen this place called the Tiger Truck Stop before? Um, I've, I've actually needed to take a restroom break before. Actually, I had morbid curiosity. I did want to see live tigers. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. Uh, and, uh, but I've got to tell you, why don't we show them a picture of it? This is, this is Tony the Tiger. I didn't realize this. I wrote a blog about this last summer. But there's, there's like a Save Tony the Tiger movement out there. I publish this blog, and, and I get all these people who are like, Save Tony the Tiger people, like, yes, amen. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, and, and this is a picture of the actual t- uh, Tiger truck stop. It's, it looks like they used uh, Sharpie. And, uh, <laughs> and I got to tell you, the, the Tiger truck stop, every time I drive by there, I feel sad inside. You ever feel sad for Tony the Tiger? Why do you feel sad for a tiger? Because, hello, this is like tiger hell. This is like the worst thing that, like, like this is the opposite of what a tiger was created to be. I mean, only in Louisiana can you find the bizarre mixture of live tigers, a mom-and-pop truck stop, and, and swamps. Uh, like, like, who came up with that? that that's a, that's, let's mix tigers and a truck. It's crazy. Let's mix tigers and a truck stop. And, uh, and it's not even like one of these cool truck stops. You, you go to these travel centers sometimes that have, you know, multiple restaurants. And stuff. This is like, it started out like as a gas station, I think. And then they added a convenience store onto it. And then they added a tiger. Um, and so I got to tell you, when I drive across this place, I feel sad because I, I was like, you know, poor Tony the Tiger. And, and, and my sadness is it's, it's the sadness of a life that will never be fully realized. He'll never know what it's like to be a, a real tiger. I mean, he's alive. And he gets three meals a day. But he'll never know what life is like to, to you, know, in, you know, ultimate tigerness. You know? The same thing if you go to the Audubon Zoo. Now, they take care of their animals a little bit better. But have you ever, like, you know, I, I watch National Geographic, and I love watching... You know, when they do the slow-mo of the lion out on the savanna in Africa and he's chasing after an impala and he finally, you know, goes in for the kill he's like, and they slow it down. He's like, and he grabs that thing and takes it down. And, you know, and, and Dina's just like, I can't watch. And I'm like, that is so cool. <laughs> but you watch, yeah, you feel sorry for the impala. But. You watch these programs, and then you go to the Ottoman Zoo, and you see a lion, and, and how do those lions look? They look kind of bored, right? Like, they're not living lion life. They're alive biologically, technically, but they're not thriving. 
This is why when you commit crimes in the United States, we lock you up in jail or prison because that's a horrible punishment, isn't it? Because something of your humanity is decreased when you have to go to prison. You lose, you lose your, your freedoms. You lose your rights. You, you have three meals a day. You may even have a TV or a library, but you have lost what it truly means to thrive as a human being. So there's, in order for an animal to thrive, like a tiger or a lion, they need to be in their natural habitat, don't they? If you see a lion out you know, in the Serengeti in Africa, that's going to be a completely different story than seeing a lion in the Audubon Zoo. If you see a tiger in its natural habitat, it's probably too late for you. <laughs> Because tigers usually aren't seen until you have become their lunch, you know. Uh, so it's a completely different animal. But when they're in their natural habitat, they thrive. They, they, they learn what it is like to be fully themselves. I'm going to make the case today that the natural habitat for Christians is the church. Now, I know a lot of people who, who become Christians and they never really fully get to experience church. They may show up at church, a church service, but they never fully get to experience the, the life of, of church life, the relationships of it, and so they never thrive. It's kind of like a, a lion in a cage. They're alive. You know, they've got a, a beating heart. Things are okay. They may even get fed steak, you know. Depends on the church they go to. Uh, <laughs> but they're not thriving they're not, they don't have the context right. Every one of us, as a human being and as a Christian, we need a certain context to really thrive in. And I'm going to make the case that that's the church. The text for today is Hebrews 23, 10, 23 through 25. <clears throat> the author writes, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. (laughs) Now, need a... Okay, all right. I do. Um, I won't give you this one, though. Um... I've heard this scripture many times as a Christian. Uh, the, the translation of it that I heard uh, was, you know, as an early Christian was, don't forsake the assembling of the saints together. And uh, I just chose this translation because it makes a little, it's a little bit easier to understand. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. There was a problem back in the early church. It, 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 it didn't, it's not just a new phenomenon, but there's a problem that goes all the way back to the beginning. That there were some people who would convert They'd become Christians, and then they would go it alone. And the author here is saying, don't, don't forsake getting together and joining with other people in your journey. Don't forsake that. That's a good thing. That's part of it. Now, I want to say that, that most of the time that in my early years of Christianity, when I heard the scripture mentioned, it was kind of to guilt me into showing up on Sunday mornings. And I want to say something this morning. That's not the purpose of this message. I'm hoping that you will walk away from here with a much bigger view of what church is and realize that while this is church, what we're doing, that the church is a much bigger thing that you can actually experience, you know, Monday through Saturday in your life. So 
just know that that's where I'm coming from, okay? I've heard messages where the whole point was to make you show up Sundays. That's not where I'm going. So let's start off with what is church? Now, I'm not a person with lots of letters following my name. There's, there's, there's very smart people who have written volumes of books trying to answer this one little question. So I'm just going to give what seems to make sense to me and, you know, uh, take it for what it's worth. What is church? Let's look to Matthew 16, 15 through 20. And I didn't put this one on the slide. It's a familiar scripture. We've actually talked about it several times the last couple months. Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, and he asks them, who, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter if you are familiar with the story, his name was initially Simon. And Jesus ends up telling him, he said, your name's going to be Peter. That's kind of the equivalent of saying you're Rocky, you know. Dun, da, da, da. Now, the Peter that we see most of the Gospels is not Rocky. <laughs> he's not a rock. He's impulsive. He's brash. He's always, you know, he's the first person to speak up and, and you know, the last one to follow through. <laughs> he's uh, very opinionated. Very full of himself. But Jesus says, he, he calls Peter, he says, I, you, I'm going to change your name to Rock. And in here he says, you are Peter, which the actual translation would be, you are Rock. And on this rock I will build my church. Now, if you grew up in a Catholic tradition, uh, the, the Catholics have taken this to mean that, that Peter was the rock on which the church would be built. And so, you know, Peter was the first pope, and you can trace all the popes in the line of Peter. I don't think that's what what God was saying here, what Jesus was saying here. I think what Jesus was saying is the revelation that you just got, I'm going to build my church on that. See, Peter just had this revelation. What was it? You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is saying, that's the kind of stuff that I'm going to build my church on. So I think the fundamental definition of church has to do with that. Now, what's the word for church in the original Greek? You know, the New Testament that you read in English was actually written originally in Greek. And the word was uh, ekklesia. What does ekklesia mean? It was just a gathering. It was kind of like a a city council meeting, except they had them kind of in public. So it was a gathering in the town. And Jesus says, my gathering, the gathering that I'm going to do is going to be Uh, around the revelation that I am the Messiah, the one who's going to set things right, the Son of God. And so I think a a very easy definition of church is uh, anyone who is gathered around the purpose and the, the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ, which gives you the blanks to fill in. Church is the people gathered around the person and purposes of Jesus Christ. I'm hearing a little buzz, and I had to turn it off. Okay. So, under this definition, you can see that what we do up here on Sunday mornings, we're gathered around the person and purposes of Jesus Christ, aren't we? Right? This means yes. Uh, (laughs) But you can see how under that definition, 
that can happen anywhere, right? Whenever you gather with, with a couple more people around the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ, you are experiencing church. Now, there are versions of church that are organized. What we do here is organized, and we have some organized things that we do. And I don't think there's any problem. You know, there's some people who have kind of gone uh, rebelled against anything organized. They're like, oh, you know, the church is kind of like the spiritual amoeba thing that kind of just kind of flows and morphs and, and goes everywhere. And and I think, you know, if you look at the book of Acts, there were some organized things. There were some organized things from the beginning. Now, the organization can, can kind of kill life sometimes, can become so organized, but there is an organized form of church. But then there's also just the, the unorganized form of church, the, you know, kind of organic stuff that happens. And, and both of it's important. A lot of people try to take it either one way or the other. You know, like it's either you do this or you do this. But really, we need both in our life. We need things where we come together and it's organized and, and we're, you know, we're doing something greater as a team because we can organize our efforts a bit. But then we also need some, some times where we're just making room in our life, not because anybody's telling us to, not because, not because it's a program or, or something that somebody's offering, but because we are, are committed to experiencing church life. So church happens when we gather around the person and purposes of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the definition of it. All right? So that's what the church is. But why does church matter? Again, I want to say, I could answer this question kind of in terms of God's purposes in the earth and his kingdom, but I'm going to answer this kind of from the perspective of what's it matter to you and I personally in our Christian walk, okay? Because we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks on the church, so hopefully we'll answer a lot of other questions. Why does the church matter? Well, the church matters because it's the context in which we thrive as Christians, and church is how we learn to live the kingdom life. You know, I I, got to tell you, my first few years as a Christian, I I went to church. I was involved in church, but I really didn't experience relationship. And so I was showing up, but I missed a lot of what, what God had for me in the community of believers. And we can see this when it comes to things like the Bible. You know, if you read your Bible, there is a, if I was ever consulted on translating the Bible, I'm still waiting for the phone call. Um, But if anybody ever asked my opinion on how the New Testament should be translated, I would say they need to take a cue from us folks in the South and and put y'all in. Because you know what? The word y'all is all over the New Testament. We just don't see it. Why don't we see it? Because the problem is the word you in English could mean you, Paul, to Pharaoh, or it could mean all of you, right? And so when you read something in the New Testament that says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How do you take that? Well, I'll tell you how I took it. I mean, for years, I just read it like, oh, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's me. But that's not what Paul was saying. Paul wasn't saying that you, Paul, individually are uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, no, you, community of people, are the dwelling place of God. You, as you're, as you're together, you're the place where God dwells. That's a different thing, Right? See, again, that's understanding the context there. I think if we put the word y'all all through there, if, if it said y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit, I think we'd get that, right? I mean, there'd be some people up north who'd kind of get upset. But 
I think it would clarify things. You know, really, most of the most of the letters that Paul wrote, they weren't to individuals; they were to churches. They were to a group of people gathered around the purposes and purpose uh, purposes and person of Jesus Christ. It was a group of people, a community, and so we got to learn to read it that way. Also, when you look at the Bible, you, you, do you understand? I'm, there's been this this idea in Christianity, which is quite a new idea in the history of the church that we all need to read our Bibles by ourselves, right? And there's nothing wrong with reading your Bible by yourself, okay? Right? But you know, we need to read the Bible together. We need to talk about the Bible together. Do you realize in the early church, there weren't that many people who were literate, right? There was no such thing as having your own Bible that you could go sit by a river and and read. There was none of that. You were lucky if you lived in a town where you had a letter from Paul and somebody who knew how to read it, and you could all sit around and listen to it. But but listening to the Bible would not be something you would do uh, alone. You would do it with other people. And I think this is one of the, the things we've lost in our modern American culture is, is we, we, we've become so influenced by individualism that we, we cease to approach the scriptures together. But there's the importance of we, of us, of y'all. I mean, if I look back to that, that text that we looked at today, let's see how many uh, we got. Um, let us hold tightly to the, without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another in Acts 11, good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is near. You get that? He's saying us, we, y'all, together. I've seen some freaky things when people start reading the Bible just by themselves. Is it getting hot in here? Okay, I'm getting hot. Um, you know what happens? If you just read the Bible by yourself, you're going to get, even though it's the truth of God, you're likely to get deceived. Because God never intended for us to approach scriptures just alone. We need input. We need people. We need a dialogue. We need to approach the scriptures in light of community. That's what we do in the church. So these little resources that I make available that Al talked about online, um, you know, those are helpful for you and God. But it, you can also take that thing, those, those little scriptures and the questions, and you can say, hey, you know, go get together with Zach for lunch today. And, hey, let's talk about, you know, what do you think about this Lord is my shepherd scripture? And what's God saying to you through that? Well, da, 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 you know, dialoguing about it. We're, we're finding the richness of it in our experience with one another. Okay? So the Bible. Secondly, prayer. It's good to learn to pray by yourself, all right? Yes, okay. Prayer by yourself is good, but you know what? Prayer with others is even more better. It's, it's, as we pray together, we get to give and we get to receive of what God's doing. You know, there, there's, there's so many different giftings in the body of Christ. So many people have so many different takes and slants and, you know, if, if I'm struggling with a lot of stuff in my life, sometimes I need others who have a better perspective on it. You know, you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes, and you, you just, all you can see is this problem. You get somebody to pray for you, pray with you. All of a sudden, 
they're hearing from God for you in a way that you can't hear from God. And, and they're saying, you know, all of a sudden you get counsel, you get encouragement, uh, but it comes from other people. You know, our little, we did these things called three is enough groups. And, um, uh, during the Lent season and, you know, me and Paul and, you know, Mike and Jeremy, who I got a text from the other day, he's doing okay on the Appalachian trails, his legs hurt, but, um, <laughs> uh, but we get together on Tuesdays and we, we didn't get together to have some big Bible study. We, we might talk about the Bible a bit, but we, we, we would share what was going on and then we would pray for each other. And I got to tell you, it helped. It helped me. I don't know if it helped. Did it help you, Paul? All right. Paul got help too. And Mike. So, hey, there we go. Uh, but, you know, just just making a discipline in my life to meet with a couple other people just to pray, that was huge. Because now it wasn't just Crispin approaching all of life's problems by himself. Now I'd invited others into that, and they were praying for me, and, and, and that's huge. The church is the place where we experience prayer together. Encouragement. Uh, back to Hebrews 20, 10, 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. I love that. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to love and acts to acts of love and good works. Like just envision a week where you let that kind of be the the guiding verse in your life. Imagine what that'd be like. Like, hmm, how can I encourage Zach and Ricky? How can I motivate them to acts of love and good works? How can I how can I encourage them? You know, years ago when I I came on as the worship leader at the Kinder Vineyard. Um, I know you'd be surprised to hear this, but there were some people who didn't like the way that I led worship. <laughs> I know, I'm shocked. <laughs> that, that's where I started calling myself the worst pastor. I got to explain the joke, so it's not in it. When I was at the Kinder Vineyard, <laughs> Ricky and Sharon started showing up on the weekends and I would get up to lead worship and I'd say, hi, I'm Crispin Shorter. I'm the worship pastor here at the Kinder Vineyard. Well, we're doing Alpha and Ricky's like, why'd you always call yourself the worst pastor? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> kind of uh, lost in translation there. But, uh, but how I started out as the worst pastor, uh, when, when I was... When I came on staff there, I start leading worship, and there were some people that would send in. You, there was this place where you could send in emails through the website anonymously, and and some people would send in some anonymous emails that were not very nice. They were like, "Ah, oh, I liked it much better when Phil was leading worship." Well, Phil had led worship there for like seventeen years, so I mean, I, they were used to it, and uh, and Phil is a good worship leader. But they would send letters in, emails, and, and it, was, it was just bad stuff. And I was talking to Phil about it one day. He said, he said, well, here's one thing. If somebody doesn't have the guts to sign an email, don't read it. Don't even look. It will not be helpful in your life in any way. But then he told me something else. He said, the good emails you get, <laughs> the good letters, the encouraging things, keep those. Keep them. And so what do I do? I've got a cigar box with encouraging letters and, and, and emails and things that people write, and I put them in there. Why? Because there's going to be a day where I need to revisit those things. There's going to be a day when, when I don't feel encouraged at all, when everything's depressing and sad and falling apart, and I feel like God ain't with me and nobody else is, and I can pull up in that cigar box and I can start remembering sometimes <laughs> some encouragement. We need encouragement. 
That's part of the body of Christ. You know, I, I got to tell you, I don't know if this is a man thing, but I'm just going to go ahead and throw all men in here because so I'm not alone. But <laughs> taking y'all with me. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of times where I think a good thing about my wife. I think she looks pretty. I think, wow, I enjoyed that thing she made. Or I, I enjoyed the, the everything was nice when I walked in the door. You know, I, I, I enjoy things about her. But sometimes I enjoy them silently. I don't say anything. It's not that I don't appreciate it. I just fail to communicate my appreciation. It's just me. <laughs> I'm talking about encouragement here. <laughs> uh, but but sometimes Dina, you know, she's she's had to to train me a bit. Wives, it's okay to kind of have to train your husband like a dog. Uh, very similar. Uh, but she's like, did you uh, even notice what I was wearing today? Did you think I looked pretty? Uh, yeah, I did. Well, you mind telling me sometimes? And I'm like, okay. you know. And, and I've had to realize that over the years, and, I, and I'm getting a little bit better at it, that when I think a good thought about somebody, I try to not keep it to myself. I try to make a note of it. Even if I can't say something right there or email them, I try to make a note and then send somebody an email. Send them a card. Uh, Just say something. You know, I really appreciate you. You know, that, that was really wonderful what you did. I try not to keep that to myself. As the body of Christ, we need encouragement. We need people that they are saying, you know, encouraging us in our journey, encouraging us to, to love acts of love and good works. That's part of what the church is. Next one is confession and healing. I lump these together because James lumps them together. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Uh, you know, Dina, this week, we, we sung a happy birthday to her today. It's her birthday. But earlier this week, I bought her a pair of rollerblades for her birthday. And so she's going to go out on the trace and, and ride on them. And she uh, was supposed to, she had some knee pads and a cell phone that she was supposed to take with her. And she neglected to take the knee pads or the cell phone with her. So about an hour and a half later, I'm like, wow, I'm calling her and she didn't answer. I'm like, that's, that's weird. Maybe she's just having a, a lovely day and just kind of getting caught up in it. Well, she's, she kind of walks in the door a few minutes later, not feeling too good. She's got a, a shin that's, that's all bloodied up and, <laughs> and she, yeah, oh, and, uh, I'm like, why didn't you bring your cell phone with you? And, uh, she didn't, but the, the point is that scratch on her leg is quite a good gash, but that, that gash on her leg, you know, the moment that that happened, everything in her body starts working to see that heal, doesn't it? If you, if you cut yourself, if you have some kind of wound, all of a sudden everything in your body is going to start working to see that wound healed. So the, the, the cells right around the, the part of her leg, you know, they, they start working. And white blood cells go in there. Start, certain things start happening, an immune response, a clotting, and, and it starts working. If you're squeamish, I'm sorry, you're probably like, uh, stop talking about all that. Uh, <laughs> but her body actually starts working to heal itself. And I think this is, you know, the, the Apostle Paul actually calls the church, what? The body of Christ. And I think that's what happens to us 
when we get wounded, when we get hurt, when, when we're struggling in a sin, that, that others can come around us and we can begin being healed. This is what James is saying. He says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other to be healed. I got to tell you, my first years as a Christian, I didn't do this. I had all kinds of things. You know, I, I, I came to Christ when I was 20 years old. And I'd done a lot of stupid things in my life, stupid relationships, drugs, and, and, and all kinds of other stupid stuff. And I had enough junk on file in my brain that I just hated I, memories of things that I'd done with people. And, and I just, that stuff just would not leave me. It's not like I had to go down to, a, you know, a, a store and buy pornography. I just had lousy things on file in my brain, lousy thoughts, and I was ashamed of them. And here I was a Christian, and, and, and I was ashamed to even admit my struggles to other people because I, what did I think? The, the moment that I say something about this, there's going to be, you know, they're going to be, oh, you're on the blacklist. You're out of here. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, God kind of brought all this stuff to a head in my life years ago, and, and I remember being in a small group, and uh, I finally came clean with some people, and I was like, man, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm dying here. And I'd been a Christian for a few years. And I was getting ready for them to condemn me. And you know what? They didn't. Actually, it turns out the stuff that I was struggling with, a lot of other guys were struggling with it too. I wasn't alone. Actually, when I started begin to share what, what, what I was struggling with, a lot of other guys started having the courage to share what they were struggling with. And we began praying for each other. And that's when healing began to start. I got to tell you, many years, I prayed for God to, to heal me, to take this stuff away, take, take these, these, these desires away, these things away. And it was always me and God, right? I'd go up for prayer. I wouldn't tell anybody, I need prayer. I, I got a friend. <laughs> He's struggling with this. <laughs> uh, I wanted God to take care of these things. I believed he could, but I wanted him to do it, me and God, so nobody else had to find out. And God, in his wisdom, the way he set up the church, our healing actually comes in relationship with other people. It comes as we walk in the light, as we get stuff out in the light. And I'm not saying, you, you, you know, you got you to gotta find some people you can trust before you can open up. I'm not just saying, like, hey, you met somebody here today and just unload on them. Blah. <laughs> You might scare some people, but um, but when it comes to things that that uh, that we're ashamed of, you know, I, I read a, a book by this guy um, Larry Osborne. He said he got together with a bunch of other men, or you know, when he was in college to have an accountability group. But he said the problem with accountability groups is uh, you start learning how to lie to the very people that you, <laughs> that you wanted to hold you accountable. Like they held you accountable for a few weeks, and then you start being ashamed to say what you're struggling with, and so. But but we I've I found in authentic relationships with other with other guys with my wife uh, that that things that that the more I learn to walk in the light bit by bit, the less that shame rules my life. The more that I'm healed, and you know the reality is when you're struggling with something shameful, whether it's you know bulimia or pornography uh, or some kind of addiction that nobody knows about, and dude, the last thing you want to do is mention that to someone else. But I think genuine experience at church, that's, that's where God will lead us. He'll lead us into some relationships where we can be open and honest, where we can get prayer. And, and more than prayer, where God begins to put our lives back together. It's not just like, 
hey, get things out in the open, have a cathartic experience so you can just go on. No, it's like God actually, that's the way he heals it. That's allowing the spirit of God into your life. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wind this up here pretty quick. So confession and healing. The last thing I want to talk about is care and relationship. The church, and unfortunately, I don't, I don't think we see enough of this. But I think the brightest moment of the church is when the church is loving one another and caring for one another. You know what Jesus actually said? He said, the world is going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another, right? Like, that the way we take care of one another in the church is actually going to be a testimony to those out there that, wow, that, I mean, that's going to be the manifestation that, that we're actually for real deal followers of Jesus, and I think that the most awesome moments in the church have been that. You know, you realize the first martyr in the church was not an apostle. It's a guy named Steve, Stephen, Steve. I like to call him Steve. Uh, but Stephen was an apostle. You know what he was? He was kind of like the head waiter. <laughs> and yet he was moving in the power of God. He was the first person they took down. Because he was so moving in the power of God. But he was a waiter. And where, where was he waiting? He was taking care of widows. The, the early church, when they gathered around the purposes of Jesus, their response was to begin taking care of one another. When they saw a need, they would take care of it. And so what it, they, they realized they had a lot of widows in their midst. And being a widow back in that day, it was bad. It was bad. I mean, you, you, you were going to basically be out on the streets begging for food. They began taking care of the widows in their midst, feeding them. They started a feeding program. After Katrina, you know, it, it's funny working with churches, you, you see how much churches are just, yeah, bickering and fighting with each other, and it's just nasty, right? But after Katrina, man, the, the months after that, man, all of a sudden, churches weren't fighting. The, what were they doing? They were doing what churches need to be doing. They were taking care of people. They were feeding people. They were gutting houses. All of a sudden, spirituality wasn't just some kind of esoteric experience. It was actually hands. It was actually meeting physical needs. So often today, we, we think that when we see a need in the community, like, oh, i got to call Crispin up. Uh, maybe, maybe the benevolence fund at the church, maybe they can help this lady. Well, how about you help that lady? I know a single mom, and she, she needs a new tire on her car. Well, how about... You see if you can get a tire for that car. You, don't, you can cut out the middleman. I don't have to be the middleman here. I'm not saying anybody's done that yet, okay? I'm just saying we tend to get in this mode where we think that the organization has to take care of it, but you can actually be the church. When you see needs around you, take care of them to the extent that you can. It doesn't mean go in debt and stuff. Or, as I said in the video, don't do anything illegal. We take care of the needs. And I think that that's one of the, the, the most basic ways that we show the church. We, we care for one another. Spiritually, physically, emotionally. We, we, we help do that. We're conduits of that. Again, the analogy of the body of Christ. We're all working together. Uh, finally, relationship. Church is where we learn how to be rightly related to one another. You may have grown up in a home uh, we could do, we could do some polls here and, and probably embarrass some of you. You know, maybe in your home conflict was handled by your dad left the home for a few days until he cooled off. Maybe that's how conflict happened. You know, as soon as he gets mad, he leaves until he cools off and then he comes back. Maybe conflict in your home where you grew up was, was, uh, you know, 
stuff getting thrown across the room or, 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 you know, walls getting punched. Maybe in your home, conflict was dealt with by the silent treatment. I'm just going to, uh, you know, kind of be passive aggressive. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to be quiet and, and kind of give you the cold shoulder. And we bring all that stuff into church, don't we? <laughs> and let me let you in on something. If you experience church the way I'm talking about it, you know, some bad things, it's, conflict's going to happen. I hate to, I, I, I know it's hard to imagine, but at some point I'm going to say something that offends you. I know, it's crazy. Crazy talk. At some point I'm going to do something that, that just gets on your nerves. Hopefully not intentionally. <laughs> at some point somebody else in the church is going to do something that, that just, just, Maybe they believe something that you don't believe and you think they should believe, or maybe they act something, maybe they did something, maybe it's something you saw on their Facebook page, and, and, and you just like, ah. And your temptation when that happens is going to be to run away. But this is the other point about commitment that I want to say I mean, about relationship is commitment. You know, when Dina and I got married, it, I've shared this before, it was certainly not easy our first few years. It was very hard. Like, it was like hell. I mean, it was. Not what I signed up for at all. <laughs> Why are we still here today? Why do we love each other? Because we were committed to each other. That's it. I mean, that's the only reason. Had me and Dina been dating, had all that stuff kind of come up to the front when we were just dating, we would have, you know, just probably broken up and gone our separate ways. But there's something when we committed to each other, when we got married, we said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with you. And, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to try to make this thing work. I'm not saying that's how all marriages work, but we we at least both had that kind of mentality. It takes two people. And so we, uh, the commitment, and I'm not saying you have to commit to church the way you commit to your spouse, okay? Understand that? But I do think that at some point, I know a lot of you are dating the North Shore Vineyard right now, and that's cool. It's nice. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, I like it. You know, it feels good. And I know some of you like dating for years. Me and Dina, we dated for six months. That's probably why we had so many problems in our first. <laughs> we were going over the stuff that it, you know, most people get out of the way before they get married. Yeah, you know, we, in our first couple of years. Uh, but, but at some point, you need to commit. You need to say, you know, I feel like God's putting me in this place. And I'm, a, I'm not saying you have to do it here. I say somewhere, whether it's North Shore Vineyard, whether it's another group of Christians that you commit and you say, you know, I feel like God has led me here and I'm going to go ahead and, and, and trust God and open up my heart and I may get hurt, but I'm going to go ahead and do that. Because, you know, without commitment, you can't really uh, experience a lot of these things. You've got to get to a point in your relationship where you say, you know, I, I commit. And if conflict comes up, I will do my best to, to, to deal with that. I got to tell you, I don't like conflict. Not my favorite thing. But conflict in Christianity with other people has been some of the most freeing, liberating, healing times in my life. Crazy, isn't it? It's when I've had to had conflict with other people that, that God has done amazing things because he got down to the root problems. So conflict can be good, okay? Yes, all right. I know I'm going long today, I, I, but I'm just going to finish this up with barriers to connecting with the church. The first one, individualism. Thanks to Apple, we have this whole 
new approach to marketing that has I in front of everything, right? You got your iPad, your iPhone, your iPod, your iLife, your iSuites, your everything is I. What does that communicate? It's all about me. It's me. I've got my personally crafted, tailored, individual life. I've got my own playlist. I've got my own DJ. I've got my own set of, you know, Amazon.com. They have recommendations just for me, not for anybody else. Everything is about me. And we live in this world where we, we, we buy into that, not consciously, but everything in our world is telling me, it's about you. You can have it your way. You deserve it. That, that will really frustrate what God wants to do in the church. As long as you have that I mentality, me, you, you won't come to connect with others. So individualism, fear of commitment, which I just went over, um, fear of conflict, which I just went over. So shame, another barrier is shame. We just are ashamed of who we are at the, at the core and, and that at some point, and I'm not saying you have to deal with that the moment you show up at church, like I'm, I'm but at, at some point we have to start dealing with our shame and getting out in the light. And in and, and church, that, that is a barrier, that will be a barrier as long as we have that to, to um, uh, connecting with, with other people. And the final one I want to say is there's no room for church in your life. Does anybody have your life kind of packed full of, of things? Right. Who doesn't? <laughs> it's kind of the way our world is. But I, I just want to say this. And again, I'm not pushing that, that you need to be guilted into showing up here more Sundays so we can have more seats filled. That's not what I'm saying here. You need to make time in your life for other Christians. You need to make time in your life to experience Christianity with other people. And if you don't have time in your life for that, then you need to cut some things out. That needs, it's not just like an optional thing. If you want to thrive as a Christian, anybody want to thrive as a Christian? I'd like that package, please. Well, we got to get the context right. We got to get out of the cage. We got to run out there on the plains like a lion, you know? And it, Okay, I'm going to, I'm confusing my things here. <laughs> We've got to, to, to simplify our lives a bit so we can make room for the experience of Christ with others. And, and, and that is a big deal. And I, that doesn't necessarily mean showing up to more church activities. That just means making more time in your life. Maybe even with your own spouse. Like, hey, let's, let's talk about God together. Let's try that, babe. Crazy. All right. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to shut up here in just a second. Um... But I do want to say, you know, the next next few weeks, we're, we're probably going to be offering some more organized things, uh, small groups. We got the um, nothing's going to stop it Bible study going on over at Al's uh, on Tuesday nights. Y'all liking that? Is it fun? Cool. Um, but we're probably going to offer some more home groups and stuff in, in the coming weeks, and and that's a great place to go. But, you know, these little things, three is enough groups that we did. You know, that's an easy enough thing. It doesn't require a leader. You can just say, hey, I'm going to find one other person, two other people that I can have lunch with once a week. Maybe if you're a stay-at-home mom, I'm going to get coffee, have a couple other ladies and their kids over for coffee once a week. And, and, and let's just talk about God. Let's pray for one another. Just try to find some of these things in your life. It will change the way you live your Christianity. 
Why don't you all stand with me? I'll close this with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, today, I just pray for every person in here. We, God, help us to deal with our individualism. God, help us to deal with, with the barriers, Lord, of shame, the fears of commitment, the fears of conflict. Lord, even, Lord, we ask today that you would give us wisdom on how we can simplify our overly crowded lives, that we can make time to experience you, Jesus, with other people. God, that may seem impossible for a lot of people in here, but God, I just ask for the grace and wisdom, God, that you would open up opportunities for that to happen because, Lord, I do believe that that's your will, that that's what you have for us, God. So I pray that every one of us could could move out of merely surviving to thriving as a Christian, that we could find our natural habitat in the community that's gathered around you, Jesus, and your purposes. So I bless this group today and all those who would listen online. Uh, just bless, bless us all with that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Perfect timing. <laughs>